0: Though Limerick City has a population of close on 60,000 and has upwards of a dozen parishes, there is for most only one parish, the Parish of St Mary. (laughs) Jim Kemming.
1: Well, the parish is the heart of all Limerick. It is um, a territory or a community right in the middle of the city of Limerick. It was, in fact, the old city... It's bounded by the River Shannon on one side and by another diversion of the Shannon called the Abbey River on the other side.
0: The Shannon and its tributary, the Abbey River, nurture the memory of how men lived. Kevin Hannon,
2: The fishermen, they fished on the river between Duness and Limerick and uh, their origins apparently are lost in history. But they were from the parish, weren't they? They were from the parish. And the reason, of course, that they were from the parish is there was no other part of the city, only the parish, Uh, up to around 1775. There was no other part of the city that they could come from, except in the liberties outside the walls. But uh, the fishermen had the river divided up into 12 sections. There were 12 crews normally fishing, 48 men. There were four men in each crew. And they rotated the inures, or draws, on each day, a draw took place before the season opened. They drew for inures or or, or or drafts, and they rotated these between the 12th of February and the end of the season in in, in July. And when they fished, they had a, they had a this peculiarity. They communicated with uh, with nobody. When they fished, they hardly salute their own friends. On the banks of the river, they, just, uh, they were engrossed uh, so much in their own work that they dis- disre- de- disregarded everything else, And particularly the older fishermen in my time. Some of the younger men at that time might salute you from the boats, but some of the older men would disregard you completely.
0: On one side of the set square, down from the junction by Nicholas Street and St Mary's Cathedral, there was the sweep of tidy, tiny houses, down and up to Atlunkard Bridge. And here, and in other places, pig-keeping was an industry.
2: In fact, in some areas, uh, it was uh, some of the older laneways in the city, where even the the conditions were unsuitable for human habitation. People kept pigs under these awful conditions. And apparently the Sanitary Authority turned a blind eye to it. Apparently it wasn't against the law to do it. And I do remember well, in the summertime, the stench down some of these laneways was awful. And these people fed these pigs on, 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 on uh, uh, potato peelings and other bits of flotsam and jetsam that was knocking about, and they collected this stuff from house to house in buckets. In What was the connection between, say,
0: Limerick's famed name as producers of Limerick ham and the pig buyers and the pig breeding in in the banks of the houses?
2: Well, all all these aspects were very closely related. The people had already market for their pigs and uh, the pig buyers had already uh, outlet for the pigs they bought. Most of them were working on some commission on on, on a basis. Most of the pig buyers... uh, they all worked for different bacon factories, as far as I know. Some of them worked for Omaras and some worked for Shaw's at Atom, and more worked for Mattisons.
0: Pig breeding produced a local delicacy
3: It was straight, kind of as a skin, and what was going into the packet blood, blood. <laughs> but it was very good for you, but I think really I have seen packet and tripe being prepared in several houses outside the parish and I think really no one could do it only a parish person
2: The packet and tripe industry in the parish I suppose was the most important This packet and tripe was regarded as a sine qua non in the dietary of the parishioners and even from far outside it and it was a lucrative trade and at the business the people who carried on the business made quite a lot of money What was packet and tripe? The tribe was actually the stomach of the sheep. This was uh, cleaned out, washed and cleaned out. And the packet was the blood of the sheep, which was poured into the cleaned intestine of the sheep and sold this packet.
0: About a mile away from where Packet and Tripe is still dispensed is the Castle of King John by Tomond Bridge. And if you stood there on an evening, facing up towards the next bridge, Sarsfields Bridge, which is the last bridge before the Shannon sweeps out to its widening estuary into the Atlantic, well, if you stood there with the light from the Clare hills lighting the tips of the wavelets of the Shannon, and if you could all at once count those dancing wavelets... Then you might have such is the way of things. You might have the number of couples who met and mated under the trumpet of band leader Bud Clancy.
4: My memories as a child, going up and down to the parish of Saint Mary, was that of the brochán, the little boat that the abbey fishermen would use when they were fishing with their snap nets in a tradition that lasted for many centuries, I would, part of my job would be to bring the paddles and the poles and the nets and the net stones to the brockhorn. And of course, as I grew a little older, I became an abbey fisherman myself, I was then about 14 years old. Were the abbey fishermen confined to a particular part of Limerick? Well, yes, in many ways, they did own a portion of it by a tradition, it? inheritance, and so on. But they would normally fish around by where the present ware stands, and up under the old Dominican Laxware, up beyond Thomas's Island, and up under the bridge at and right up to... and up towards the upper Shannon at Mulcair and up into Dunas, Castle Connell. In the Castle Connell area, of course, there'd be poaching. They had no right to fish there, but they would poach there. In those years, there was a river. At the moment, it is but a series of little rivulets and little streams and overgrown with bushes and trees and so on. But that was the, that's my memory of the abbey fishermen of those years plus the fact that (laughs) my brothers who are many years domiciled in the United States would be sent to the parish of St. Mary on a Saturday night to collect our our portion of packet and type, which of course was the mainstay of a good many families. It was cheap, and it was filling, and it was nourishing to those that used it. And I'm very happy to say I was one of those.
0: As packet and tripe was the gourmet dish, and as pigs and fishing were the industries, the sport of the parish was rugby. And in the view of parishioners, packet and tripe played no little part in the making of tough rugby men.
2: Gary Owen was the senior team in Nimrig, and uh, Shannon was the junior team. Both teams emanated from the parish. And they produced some of the finest footballers in the country in their day.
0: Men such as?
2: Such as the O'Connors, the Brian O'Connor and Tom Halpin, the plumber from the parish, whose son has a public house beside King John's Castle. And his rendezvous now for the poetry readers of the castle... I think his father got 13 caps for Ireland. And uh, it had a great rugby tradition, the parish.
0: (laughs) Do you know why this should have been at all?
2: Only that... Uh, There was no other part of the city, only the parish, at one time. And up to quite recently, when the city extended outside the parish to Newtown Perry, it was only uh, the more well-off people could afford to take some of the new houses that were built in the new town. People that weren't engrossed in games of that kind at all were interested. So the main stock of the city remained in the parish and it would be only natural to believe that rugby or any other game would have its cradle there. Rugby
4: in the parish of St. Mary is a way of life. It's most, de- all sports are really, but it's a way of life. You have, of course, that smashing old team, Shannon Rugby Football Club. You also have St. Mary's Junior Club. And you have the various uh, young soccer clubs, which has, of course, taken a great hold over the years. But sport in general, swimming, rowing with Athlunkard Boat Club, who have won every possible prize on the rowing scene over the years, you must undoubtedly have. It was said of the, of,
0: of the, of the parish rugby players that uh, they were very tough. In fact, outsiders would say they were dusty players. And a Dublin rugby player was telling me that he would put the fear of God into wanderers if they had to come down and play Shannon or St Mary's or somebody like that.
4: That's right, but only if the if the boys of the parish are roughed up themselves, then they'll fight back and irrespective of whether they come from the big smoke or from some if some other outlying club, if the the boys in the parish are roughed up no better meant to check it, but the others may be prepared to take it back.
5: I was 18 when I went to Limerick and up to then i had played all my rugby in the sheltered, ordered world of Leinster schools. You know, the kind of thing, spotless jerseys and shorts and gleaming cotton oxfords. Going to Limerick was like going to the wars, of course. Uh, rugby had always been a physical contact game but in Limerick the more physical the contact, the better everyone enjoyed it. It was a bit like Wales uh, in a way. In the pubs, for example, you didn't hear people talking soccer. In a place like Tiger O'Brien's, rugby was the passion, and there you met the legendary heroes. There was tremendous folklore about players who had retired. And that was a peculiar thing. The current crop of players never seemed to measure up to the giants of the past until they in turn retired, and then they were canonised, then they were revered. But while they were playing, they didn't measure up usually. The thing about Limerick rugby, you never won a match by a big score. Two penalty goals to one was considered a respectable scoreline. And you were congratulated all round. But a team I was on was once beaten 15 points by Cork Constitution. And we were absolute outcasts for the rest of the year. Not just with our own club, but with every rugby follower in Limerick. They'd throw it at you when you'd walk down the street. 15 points at Cork on, and. A Yet had to face this. My very first game in Limerick was with the Army team, which was a very good team in those days. And um, it was in a Charity Cup final, and never was a word more misplaced than the word charity in that context. I used to do a lot of line-out work. I was very tall. And um, the first three line-outs that I rose for the ball, I noticed I was hit in the face each time and never saw the ball. And then I realised the fist was coming from behind me. So the fourth line-out, line I went up for the ball, but instead I grabbed the fist as it came round, and it wriggled like a needle while the ruck formed round us. But I held on to it, and I was furious at this stage. And eventually I pulled him round, and I clouted him as he came round, in full view of the referee, and I was put off. And I went into the dressing room hanging my head in shame. You know, so It never happened to me in all my years.
0: I was a hero for about three months afterwards. John Skehan, with an outsider's view of Limerick rugby and now again the insider's view of the rugby from Bud Clancy.
4: An old uncle of mine way back in the early 900s, they used to call him the Mad Muller, Johnny Clancy. The Mad Muller. But he and the late Tom Halpin... Irish International and of course Pa Healy, the great man that he was in his day. These men would strike the fear of God in any other man's heart when it came to going down in the rock on the open play. These men, men who in those years would, unlike the present time, would have to undress on the field In the wet and in the cold, and dressed themselves in the mud and the filth and the water when it was all over, and when they had the other team put away, to say the Speaker, without destroyed. Yes, they were great men.
6: And of all the friends who were schoolmates, the hand all remains behind, but you. And of all the friends over
4: in the old areas before the new housing estates, most of these men would gather on Balls Bridge. Most nights, but particularly on Saturday nights, when it was a place of amusement. Between maybe rows between fellows and fisticuffs, and to receive them because we had Barrington's hospital <laughs> close by. But, genuine, really speaking, though the men themselves, those who were not even Abbey fishermen or those who were living in the area, were good hearted men. In those far half years, when most of them had spent time in some shape or form in the British forces, the naval armed forces, as well as the men who were in the IRA of those times, and who gave the police forces around here a hard time. All those men were around friendly, foregathered. They didn't have much. As well as during the day, we would see a lot of men uh, sitting around waiting for the farmers locally to give them a day's work. But that day has passed too. There's no need for that anymore, thank God. It's my theory that the, the
7: musical tradition of the parish uh, is derived from the garrison town traditions. Remember, the castle was very near, and all the regimental bands played in the castle parade just up at McHalpin's. And and if you research into the music of of the British Army bands, you'll find uh, 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 the old ballad operas and the music of Gilbert and Sullivan and uh, popular marches. Sure,
0: they were part of the British uh, British, uh, regimental band repertoire.
7: And also, of course, uh, the pig buyers were very theatre-minded and very musical as well. And for some reason that nobody seems to know, you will find a very high percentage of very good male voices in the parish, more so than in any other district in Ireland, I would say. Every every man in the parish is a good singer. Might be the Packet and Tribe or the... The pig buyers were fairly well healed and they could afford to frequent the Theatre Royal, which was, you know, um, um, the place, uh, you know, for musical entertainment. And there was a tradition in Limerick that during... Uh, all, all the famous uh, opera companies visited the Theatre Royal, notably Moody Manners and the Joseph O'Mara Opera Company, and earlier ones and Dolly Cart. And uh, there was a tradition that during the intervals, the gods entertained the rest of the
6: theatre. Hands proudly from. Dearer far, dearer far than all this world, all this world is the dear. And fair, but because
0: the anthem of the parish rendered there as a function of the baker's union the music of tribal memory. Elizabeth Mullins.
3: I'll tell you now, my mother, the Lartor Merson, was 87 when she died. And the time the Channel won the Senior Cup for the first time, of course, everybody heard it then outside in Tolman Park. It was... Every, but I was asking my mother about it and she said that when she was going to school with her first cousin of hers she was Mrs Lynch in Atlonco Street her maiden name was Anna Mariah Griffin she was very musical and when they were going to St Mary's school they had a music teacher and she taught them that and the only one that was took up the piano lessons from that teacher was this Mrs Lynch I'm telling you about so when this woman got sick this teacher, she got sick and she resigned from the school so she gave mrs lynch the music of there is an Isle." so i remember now when we were very young when there was marriages in the parish there was great nights on you know when we were kids and we'd be listening outside the doors of the windows and i always heard that being played in lynch's house in that lunker street there is an Isle." so then when they were making known she gave the words to my brother willie And he got all those things printed and gave them out. But we know it since we were kids.
0: And her friend, Mrs O'Sullivan?
8: I was born here. And I don't think I would be very happy out of the parish. Because all my family were were born here. I married a parish man. My parents were parishioners. And uh, and my children went to school in St Mary's Parish.
0: I've heard it said that the parish uh, caters for everything because it had so so many
8: churches and so on. Does yes, we have a Protestant church. We have to, as a matter of fact, we have two Protestant churches in the parish. Protestant uh, burial ground. with uh, uh, two That's Protestant burial grounds. One is part Catholic. We did have a Protestant alms house on Eccles Street. Opposite it was the Catholic almshouse house. The Protestant almshouse is not there anymore, but there were very, very nice people, the Protestant uh, that lived in the Protestant almshouse House. I remember some of them quite well, the Kirby's and there was uh, the Walsh's and various, and no, I knew an awful lot of. It. There was a Miss Weldon there, you know, and they were very, very nice people, the Protestants that lived. We lived side by side with the Cat Protestants, never any, never any bother. The only thing is, at the time, if any of them died, well, we couldn't go to a funeral. Now it has changed; we can go to a Cat Protestant funeral if we want to. But my recollection of the old parishes, the the tree lined streets. Now they have all the... In in Convent Street, there, were opposite the St Mary's Convent School. That street was lined with the trees. They're all gone away now.
0: And those two parish grandmothers, in fact, last summer, took themselves off for a couple of months uh, cycling tour all around Europe.
3: We had a great cycling club years ago. And there's an awful lot of us now... Of the, our friends still cycle, you know, yeah. but only two of us could get off, could go. Yeah. We would have another friend with us, Nellie, but Nellie had to look after her aunt who was very sick and she would really have come. But we were outside the, the church in Paris one day, do you remember? We were to having a mass in our community, not at the damn cathedral. Yeah. So we came out and we, whatever happened then, the two of us were laughing and this gentleman came over and he said to us, uh, you're Irish. We said, how did you know? He said, you're the only two laughing in Paris.
0: Such a sense of closeness, of identity provided by the parish, provides security for those nurtured within it. But what, then, of the outsiders? A housing estate built in the 1930s was situated near the parish and inhabited by people who came from other rundown parts of the city. And though the houses built were, by the standards of 1930s, they were desirable, and though the scheme was built near the parish, the people who came to inhabit the area were never quite of the parish.
2: The people from a very squalid part of the city of Limerick in the parish of St John, known as Palmerstown. They were the first people to be rehoused in the island field. And apparently uh, the people of the parish never took very kindly at the beginning to these people and had very little association with them. And even still these people are not regarded as parishioners in the strict sense.
0: A more severe example of rejection of the outsider happened in 6970 when a group of young people from outside the city altogether set up a Maoist bookshop in Nicholas Street. The thoughts of Chairman Mao's Little Red Book clashed with the Green Penny Catechism. And though many of the parish people hardly minded what to them were probably no more than harmless, eccentric purveyors of jargon, there was a speech by the then mayor, a virulent speech, and after that the bookshop came under assault. Jim Kemmy.
1: The Moors came here from outside of Limerick. They came from different social background than the people of the parish. They were mainly people from a bourgeois background, wealthy background, some of them were training college students and so on. And they hadn't type of grassroots feeling uh, for Limerick or its people. And certainly um, they were like fish out of water, to use a, perhaps a bad pun, uh, talking about the island, uh, in, insofar as... They were not able to uh, identify with the people, they couldn't communicate with them on a meaningful level, same vocabulary, same language and so on. So therefore, um, I wouldn't expect them to to have made many recruits or converts from the people of the parish, no. While much of the old traditions of the parish were good in themselves, and the fact they had a very tight-knit, close-knit community there was a good thing. Uh, these elements also bring other aspects to them, insofar as the people be- can become inward-looking, sometimes conservative in their social and political habits, even reactionary at times.
0: Specifically, what examples do you have in mind?
1: Uh, well, the people of the parish always had a reputation for voting uh, for the two main political parties in Ireland, uh, mainly uh, Fine Gael, that that vote, and support derived from the old parliamentary party uh, and that the people of the parish were strongly, strong supporters of the old parliamentary party.
0: Because the parliamentary party was identified with, with a kind of constitutional nationalism? Yes. Redmond and so on?
1: Yes, Red, Redmond and so on. In fact, there's a story told uh, about them that David Sheehy, uh, member of parliament, was speaking one time in Limerick around the time of the parnell kithi uh, scandal and um, he was asked a question asked during the meeting about the scandal. And he took great pains to reassure the people of Limerick that there was no truth in the room about the relationship between Parnell and Kitty O'Shea. And while David Sheehy was speaking, newsboys in the street were running about, um, t- talking about the parnell kitty O'Shea divorce scandal. And I'm afraid some of the poor butchers, not the poor butchers, but the pig buyers of the time, rushed onto the stage and walloped and clouted poor David Sheehy around the head and he got six stitches with troubles.
0: Even a place as rooted as the parish is subject to the changes of our times.
4: Lots of the boys and girls, the, the grandchildren of the men of whom I speak, are now living in better-class housing areas, housing estates, and they're able to give their children that little better education uh, than their grandparents could afford to had, and Consequently these areas have undoubtedly changed. But on the other hand, let me say something. I've known people who have paid £20,000 and £25,000 for luxurious palatial homes. I defy anyone, irrespective of who they may be or what they are in life. Sometimes people pay lots of money because they want a view from their home. Go around to the parish of St Mary, to St Mary's Park, and at any side of it, let me tell you something. Look out your front window in the morning at the hills of Clare, at the metal bridge, at the old Weir, and the beautiful Shannon flying by.
6: So beautiful and grand, you can view the Shannon's purple tide roll down by Clancy Strand And as you walk out the new road You can view the hills of Clare Sure they're nicer than Killarney Or the plains of old Kildare
2: The Sandman were another ancient community or association that drew their sand, that dredged the sand from the riverbed... in a very, very primitive way, up to about 1954. How was that? How did they dredge it? They had a, what they called a sand cart or barge. It was a vessel about 30 feet long... and it could contain about 9 or 10 tonnes of sand. And the sand was dredged from the river... by way of a long dredge called a spoon... which was driven into the riverbed and drawn up with a hand winch. It was a square steel uh, 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 rim for a dredge, a sack, and it was at the end of a long pole, about 22 or 23 feet long. It was believed that this river sand was superior to any other type of sand, particularly pit sand. That when the Shannon scheme started here, around 1925, That required sand in such large quantities... That the sandmin couldn't possibly supply the needs. So they opened sand pits in various areas around the city. And that spells the beginning of the end of the sandmin.
6: Old Tormen Gate is now well gone from what it used to be. They used to brew fine whiskey in the old distillery. Its crumbling walls are standing yet. The shaft stands tall and straight Is it little wonder We are proud in dear old
2: Tormangate The most important fisherman at that time he was a guard I'd like to be the chief in my younger days he was known as Tadsy Mike. he was a man of about 5 feet 7 or 8 with a great chest and... and, uh, he had a moustache when moustaches mustache, were a rarity. And uh, he had a kind of a commanding appearance. And he was looked up to by most other fishermen as being very knowledgeable. At that time, he used to make his own knit. And he was probably one of the last of the Abbey fishermen.
0: What distinguished the Abbey fishermen uh, in terms of how they, they fished? Uh,
2: they were different than this. They were snap-knit fishermen. They fished with uh, a net stretched between two small boats. And the fishermen, they fished on the river between Duness and Limerick. And uh, their origins, apparently, are lost in history. Uh, There was uh, one family who fished with the Abbey fishermen. They were the Shannies from a very ancient district uh, in Limerick, outside the, the walls of the city, known as Park And in this area, the people of Park were said by some to be descendants of the Danish, the early Danish settlers.
0: What was the basis for that?
2: They had peculiar habits. They were were very conservative peoples, and they were very religious and very hard-working people. And they lived amongst themselves, and they intermarried to a great extent uh, in in their own district. And uh, the family of Shani came from there, and in all probability, that's one of the reasons why the Abbey Fisher members had to be descendants from the Danes. The other members of the families had no connection with Park.
6: Oh, there was a man named Billy Lee, he lived in Palmerstown. He used to come out every night and knock the Peelers down. The Peelers could not take him for his strength, it was so great till one night he came and met his match in dear old Tom and day. they had their own uh,
7: their own particular uh, rugger anthem Gary Owen, of course was the parish team and they had a sort of a, a parody on, on um, marching through Georgia. Let the forwards do, do their duty and the backs will happened. follow up <laughs> and, <they're laughs> and off. home to Limerick will bring the Monster Cup.
4: To watch them was a joy. When I was a boy, looking at men like Bulger Quilligan, Rory Frawley and all the other greats of that day. My goodness, just looking at them alone was enough to say to yourself, well, I won't play that game.
0: But Clancy's family, though Catholic, have had traditional bearing rights within the grounds of the Protestant cathedral, mainly referred to there as the old cathedral.
4: They are undoubtedly a very, very old uh, family, of, amongst others, of course, in the parish of St Mary. And uh, down to the centuries, they never left hold of their little plot in the grounds since the Reformation, they never left hold no matter what. Every generation down to the way have been buried in the parish, uh, in, of course, the grounds of St Mary's old cathedral. Although there are still one or two families with the same right, they are dying out, and uh, like other things, uh, lots of the younger members uh, go to the newer Uh, places in which to be buried because there is just a little headstone over the Clancy grave that merely says the burial ground of the Clancy family. There are no individual names.
0: And without being unkind, where would you like to be buried?
4: Well, for myself, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to go with my parents my father and mother who are both, and my friends in Mount St Lawrence and I feel sure too that the day I go there, I'm afraid we're going to have quite a number of bands. I myself have been mixed up in bands of all kinds, brass bands, brass and reed bands down through the years.
0: As change comes to the parish and the young move out away to the new housing schemes which are fitted out with the consumer products of an age that their parents hardly envisaged and as they leave behind the tidy, neat houses where pigs are now no longer kept and as the Gary football team now has more bank clerks on it than the ghosts of the men of the 30s and 40s would have gone down in the rocks of Thuman Park to imagine... And as Kevin Hannon remembers how the coming of the Ardna Crusher Power Scheme, the first major generator of electricity from the Shannon, how the coming of that scheme, which heralded the coming of the Industrial Age, also marked the end
2: of the Abbey fishermen. The ASB at that time, originally they were, they were, they were in, in, uh, instituted uh, to generate electricity and they hadn't any interest in fisheries, whatever, but they were saddled with, with, with this uh, responsibility of taking over the fisheries. They were invested with the fisheries under the Shannon Fisheries Acts, and one of their jobs was to rehabilitate the fishery. And they couldn't, I suppose in all honesty, allow the tailless to be used. They regarded it like as a private waterway, which it was at that time, and I suppose they couldn't make a hasty decision. The river was diverted at party in Villa in connection with the hydroelectric works, the resulted in a radical change took place in the main channel of the river, where the abbey fishermen uh, worked that was between Castle Con and Limerick the level of the water dropped considerably and uh, at at that time the fish that would otherwise have went up the river, up the main channel went into the tail rest of the new canal and that was out of bounds to the fishermen and the fish congregated there in large numbers throughout the year and coupled with the loss of the fish content in the main channel and the low level of the water, their fishing was actually finished. And they saw the writing in the wall and they agitated for compensation from that, or for a right to fish in the tailress But the ESB would not allow fishing in the tailress And in 1932, the fishermen publicised their intention of disregarding the law and fishing the tailress which they did. What was the outcome of that? The outcome of that was that it was a defeat for the Abbey Fishermen eventually because the military were brought there and the guard and the bailiffs from, uh, implied by the Limerick Fishery Board they brought motorboats there and they took possession eventually of all the fishermen's equipment their brocans and their nets and the fishermen were duly prosecuted and fined but they refused to pay the fines and on the day that the levies the warrants were levied uh, they were to march to the jail to to uh, to uh, go to prison rather than pay the fines. On that day, at Saint Mary's Bend was requisitioned, but the Minister for Justice at the time intervened and withdrew the fines.